All right, and we should be live. Welcome, uh, anybody that's able to hop on with us uh, today. I think it's just buffering here. Yeah, we should be we should be officially live. Welcome. This is uh, the, the third episode of the NACO podcast, NACO standing for National Association of Co-Living Operators. Just to kind of recap a little bit about where, we, where we've been, where we're going, and what today is about and everything uh, for starters here. Uh, before I actually jump into that, my name is Reed Clanahan. Uh, I'm an operator, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is operation. And uh, this, is, uh, this is my partner, Frank Bell. He's a killer, a top one percenter when it comes to not just wholesale deals, but creative wholesale deals, uh, which we talked about uh, more last time in the buy box with that. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more to come uh, when it comes to, you know, what, what he's capable of. Um, but yeah, so just to recap uh, the previous two times, um, first, the first episode was more of an introduction. Hey, this is NACO. Uh, we define co-living and actually I'm going to do that right now. Co-living meaning that could be anything that, that is very self-explanatory of a term. It could be, you know, by the bedroom rentals, which is the way that we do it. It could be, um, you know, uh, it could be sober living. It could be, um, nursing homes. Uh, it could be a halfway house, uh, of some sort. Um, but obviously today, and as we get into operations, we're going to talk more about uh, it as a by-the-bedroom type of setup. Uh, that being said, um, that's that's a little bit about where we've been. And then last week was more on wholesaling. Like we said, we mentioned our buy box. We mentioned that um, ideally, you know, uh, four twos. We can look at three twos um, and, you know, go from there. And, you know, there's going to be a lot more on that. If you want to know more about specifically that buy box, you can go to the previous episode. Uh, but for now, before we dive into really the, the meet of today, um, I'd love to just talk about this week. How's it going? Where have we been? You know, what are we up to? So, Frank, if you want to um, dive into any of that as far as just we've had a hell of a week uh, just the, over the last few days. I'd love to jump in. Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a great week. And I mean, before we get started here, I just want to encourage folks um, that we're going to be doing this every Sunday and to we would encourage folks to participate you know, the chats or the comments if they want to be more engaged. And but that said, going into what happened, this was an exciting week. We uh, Reed and I had a few deals that we kind of put together together in, in a number of different ways. Got a couple of deals working. I got a couple of deals under contract and things are moving in a very fast way. Um, Reed's buying a deal for me in Fort Worth with one of his investors and they're going to turn it into I think seven or eight uh, room uh, co-living arrangement. It's a nice deal without a HOA and um, low interest rate subject to deal. Um, I placed uh, two other deals under contract, one in Shreveport, Louisiana, another one in Tyler, Texas. Um, and the, and we're looking to close those things out for the next week or two. And, and I've got a few more <laughs> contracts also working for next week, but, uh, for the con uh, in context to this discussion, Reed and I also partnered with a with an investor that we'll be working with over the next six months to buy and manage and operate uh, approximately eighteen or twenty properties in the metroplexes, primarily in San Antonio, but we're also looking potentially in Houston or Dallas as well. So I would encourage any other wholesalers that are that are watching or aware of this content to to send their deals to us because we're actively looking and underwriting deals right now. So we can move quickly and we can execute quick, you know, very quickly on them. And so 100%. I mean, it's been a quick week, huh, huh Reed? 
and things. Yeah, like it's that. been it's been a really quick week. Uh, you know, obviously uh, with any real estate transaction, you always expect you know, oh, it's a you know, it's a deal. We have it now. We don't. We do whatever. But it, it seems like everyone was just ready to do this business uh, this last week, and you know, things um, are continuing to to march along. And I mean, we're getting a lot of visibility over. San Antonio deals right now where, you know, I'm, I'm already saying no to some that I'm not even putting in front of you, Frank. Um, and you know, we're getting, I would say slightly more so, uh, selective because we're, we're seeing such a, a good uh, volume of deals. Um, but you know, we, we obviously like Frank mentioned, we have that kind of runway of the next six months of, you know, about how many we're, we're looking to line up um, over that six months. And then, Obviously, in the meantime, as we focus on San Antonio, it's not like any of these other markets stop as far as deals being sent in, you know, whatever else. So it's uh, there's a lot going on. But I, I love that, uh, you know, between a combination of things, the way the deals are going, we have a, a level of focus and we're really going to be proving out this model in a very you know clean, strategic way. Yeah, let's talk about that deal. Okay, let's talk about the deal just quickly. Uh, it looks like we're going to take down in San Antonio. It's a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath, 3,000-square-foot, 2022 construction property. Um, and it's one with we're going to work with an investor that's partnering with us um, on a joint venture basis. And uh, it looks like it pencils out with before the equity split about 40% cash on cash return. Right. And that doesn't take into account any principal pay down, um, or any appreciation. Right. So, I mean, that's, those are phenomenal returns. Like where do you get that in real estate? 40% cash on cash, um, before you even factor in any principal pay down or appreciation. Right. Incredible. Incredible. And so, that, yeah, that, that means that for any of you operators that are out there that are able to find similar deals, it's like you can go split that with your investor. They're still going to be happy with a 20-ish percent cash on cash return. They're completely passive in that scenario. In that scenario. And that's generally ballpark what I shoot for and, and very, very attainable with uh, this type of model. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, I've had a few conversations over the last you know week with a few investors that are eager and interested and um, curious about working with Reed and I, and we'll be having this, more discussions in that regards over the next week. We have a few appointments with some folks to talk about some more joint venture type deals. And, um, you know, we're looking, Reed and I are looking to really scale our operations, automate our operations, create synergy between, you know, Reed and I skill sets and, uh, you know, we're, we're absolutely looking and open to discussing uh, joint venture relationships with any investors that are looking to receive, you know, something approximating a 20% annualized cash on cash return. And, you know, the internal rate of return being a, a more subjective, you know, analysis perspective. I mean, if you if you were to say, like, it appreciates at 5% and the principal pay down, we're looking at, you know, we're approaching 30% into IRR, right? um annualized uh and that i mean that's phenomenal not to, not not even to take into account the depreciation that you realize uh, absolutely I, i'm glad you mentioned that too because um people tend to always forget that you know they can go make a killing selling something doing doing something uh but if, if it's still an income-based thing and they don't get to depreciate 
their returns uh, over it. They're still going to have that silent partner of the government. And, you know, regardless of you know, how good you do, a percentage is a percentage. It's not a set amount. So obviously that grows with you as you, uh, you know, as you make more. But that's obviously one of the beautiful things about real estate is the, de the depreciation, which is often uh, kind of an, an invisible benefit. And if, if you're doing an equity partner with somebody, maybe you're an operator as well, and you do some sort of cost segregation study, right? Um, that, that, that depreciation passes through. And then, yeah, as Frank mentioned, it's like you're every month you're, you're paying down your, your principal pay down and your appreciation, ideally in a perfect scenario, nobody has a crystal ball is going up. So you're, you're creating more of that spread for yourself in the middle there, as far as um, equity is concerned. And then, you know, with, with these deals, if, if we can find equity in it, it it's a plus, but not a focus, uh, definitely a cash flow uh, focus, which might actually be a good segue into uh, co-living uh, for operations, unless you had something else you wanted to add there, Frank. Well, I mean, I think let's, there's, there's five in front of the camera, there's five um, ways to make money in real estate, right? There's, and I mean, I just want to kind of circle back so people can really hone in on why what we do is so powerful. Um, the the cash flow that, that real estate provisions is our primary focus right now, right? And, and we achieve that by renting these properties out by the room and really bolstering their cash flows more than you would get as a long-term rental. We do so with very high, you know, management inputs, but that's the value proposition that we make to investors is we, we manage the acquisition and the, and what we're about to discuss, which is the operation of it, which is read, which read is about to go into. So, but that achieves a very, very aggressive and very bolstered uh, cash flow uh, opportunity. Um, in addition to the cash flow that we achieve, we, there's also appreciation that theoretically will be theoretically will be realized. Right. And we're buying in markets where, like Texas that, I mean, we believe Texas is a great market for the future um, from a speculative perspective. And so that's a very um, subjective analysis as to what you think it might appreciate, but we think it's a great market, particularly San Antonio. We're really excited about San Antonio's market and we're going to be placing a lot of focus there, but we have the cash flow, the appreciation, we have the depreciation, which is basically the tax write-off for controlling that real estate that the government gives you. Right. Um, and, and that's a very a strategic point because your net of tax cash flow or, or net, you know, the net cash that you actually receive is, is actually more important than anything, right? Is what you actually get after you pay the government. Uh, the fourth component is the principal pay down, right? So every month we're making those payments, we are paying down the mortgage and paying down its principal, right? And creating equity in the property that at some point in the future will be exited perhaps, or, Tying into the fifth component is you have the ability to leverage uh, the equity that you create to create greater returns back into these other four, right? So if you create equity and use it as leverage, you can go back into these other four with that leverage point buying other properties. And that's that's basically the strategies that, that we bring to the table and managing those processes all the way from deal identification to deal underwriting to working through the acquisition process to make sure it's done properly all the way into operations, which is what Reed's about to talk about here in the focus of today's content. So Reed, why don't you take the- Excellent, vote? excellent. So let's, uh, I wanna, I wanna talk about why co-living and then I wanna actually dive into um, 
really there, there there's two there's two main components of uh, operations. There's internal communication and there's external communication. Uh, before I get into any of that, uh, just set that on the shelf for a minute. Uh, the why, obviously, we talk about cash flows, and um, you know, when you when you're looking at a real estate deal now and, and comparing it to maybe what you grew up with or your your parents did or your someone you know your brother-in-law did or whatever else, it's like uh, this this ain't your this ain't your daddy's real estate market, right? So nobody's getting the one percent rule on a long-term investment, um, you know, in a way that's really meaningful uh, anymore, you know, and you have one maintenance request that happens uh, over the course of that month, I think that's your entire cash flow. And so we're, we're getting three and four ish times, you know, what you would normally have expected for like a long-term uh, rental cash flow. So there's obviously the financial component as to why, right. But the other thing I'd like to point out from the operations uh, side of things is that by doing this, like the, the deal that Frank and I are talking about right now, by doing this and actually going and getting a property, and then marketing it as such, basically what you're doing is you're adding several lower price point, nicer, nicer housing offerings into the marketplace that would not exist unless you were actually going and executing on these things. And so um, it's definitely doing a, a service to the individual that's going, shoot, I'm just I'm, I'm divorced. I'm between jobs. I'm military. I'm whatever it is. I need something a little bit more noncommittal, even though, you know, average stay time is you know a little bit longer. But something was just like. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, you know, kind of an in-between range. It's not a midterm rental, not totally a long-term rental. Like I, I don't personally do a year plus rentals, um, but it's that in-between space that we're, we're really filling and it's serving a, 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 a purpose uh, when it comes to uh, just addressing the affordability um, and, a, and a number of components. And so with that, um, let's, let's get into operations on the whole. And so, like I mentioned before, um, internal communication, that, that being more of the things of, okay, once you've already have your renters in, right, they're internal, they're, they're part of your, your business. Uh, you have things like, you know, move in, move, move out checklists. You know, you have things like maintenance requests. You have things like vendor management, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're having to uh, go fix the water heater that broke or whatever, whatever it is. And you're, you're having to classify you know how urgent those things are is something i can take care of now is something that you know is is important but not urgent you know immediately kind of thing and we can talk about kind of how how i do things and you know if you're if you're newer how you could do things and kind of work your way into it so that's all internal communication it is very important you know i, I want you to be also thinking of internal communication and things like uh, lease renewals and communicating those lease renewals ahead of times and be, being able to get out in front of those to understand if you, you have someone that's not re renewing a lease, obviously, uh, you know, you're getting out in front of that from a marketing perspective to fill your, your vacancies. So that's all internal communication. I use something called Buildium for that. If you're newer and you're just getting started, um, I, I, I don't, I know I, the way I started was house hacking. Frank, was that, is that how you started doing this originally? Like living in one yeah. room, renting yeah. out? Right. So you probably don't need a full-fledged software at that point, right? The complexity is not there. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're probably fine, you know, just posting at a handful of places. You don't have to put a ton of energy behind it. Um, I know I was still doing other things and, you know, I was lead generating a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night, a little bit on the weekend. And I, I filled it. I was patient with the right people because I was living with them. Right, too. Uh, and, you know, I, I found those people just a little bit, a little bit of side hustle. And, you know, obviously 
A, getting your biggest life expense off of your books is a big deal. B, proving yourself that you can do it. And if you can do it once, you can do it twice, right, is a really big deal. But obviously at that, that level of things, you can handle things kind of in a group text, right? You don't have to have all of these things as far as um, systems are concerned. Um, but then, yeah, let, let's shift to let's shift to external communication just for a minute to talk about marketing and getting leads into the door. So external communication having more to do with um, everything concerning uh, lead generation. So my personal approach for lead generation has to do with uh, what would be called like direct response marketing. It's go be on all the platforms and have all the conversations, which, you know, you don't have any money and you're just getting going. That's that's you. <laughs> you're the you're the one having the conversations. You're the one that's uh, that's lead generating. You're the one that is doing the unsexy, unordinary things for a long period of time uh, until you, you, you get that outcome while, while you're a little bit smaller. Obviously, as you, you grow your team and everything, like I, I employ VAs to do a lot of that outbound marketing and everything. And then as you get even a little bit bigger, you can obviously talk about listing it on platforms where you're putting a little bit of ad spend um, to really uh, target some of those folks as well. But the entire point of it being um, lead generation um, and for, for me and, and my model, you know, I obviously rent to young working single males. So men, twenties and thirties, generally speaking, um, I don't do pets. I don't do kids. I don't do couples. And so when I'm targeting these folks, I know specifically what I'm looking for. I know when someone's disqualified and, you know, obviously your, your VAs are, you know, ideally learn that as well. Uh, when someone's disqualified as a lead, um, but also when someone's qualified and you can either set up an appointment or whatever else to actually talk on the phone with that person. And then you're screening that person from the get go. Right. So you're you're hopping on the phone. You're seeing what their vibe is like. Is this a person that's their vibe is right for the house? Um, are they commutative or do I feel like there's someone that's just kind of giving me OK answers and would probably ghost me and never, <laughs> never pay rent or whatever else you, you want someone that's communicating to you. Right. And then obviously if it's working out, you can cross the bridge of doing, you know, showings at that point, setting the showings. I have softwares for that as well. Um, I use, I use something called tenant Turner or it, it previously was called showings coordinator. It actually integrates directly into uh, Buildium and um, integrates in, and both of those two things together actually will help you post your listings across a lot of different aggregate websites as well. Um, but at any rate, just to circle back there, you're, you're, you're obviously getting an idea if there's a fit, you're, you're figuring out, is this person worth the time of me setting up a showing for? The biggest thing is, is you don't want to waste your time and you don't want to schedule something with somebody that uh, they're okay. I'm kind of desperate for a lead and I am going to go meet them out there and then they ghost me and then I don't hear, from, you know, whatever. So you really want to like firm that up. That's someone that, you know, would be worth your time. And, you know, while you're small, you could go do in-person showings. They know you that, that, you know, that's, that's perfectly fine. As you get bigger, we can talk about that on another, another time. But point being is you're, you're kind of interviewing them through this process, right. To see if they're, they're a fit for the house. And then after I've, I've done the showing, I'm sending them a, um, an application link. And for, for me, um, you know, the application is a handful of things, right? So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned with credit necessarily. It's nice to see good credit, you know, see people pay on time, all that kind of stuff. But the main thing on the application is um, obviously employment. Do they have references? And then background check, right? I, I tell people like, I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't care if you had speeding tickets, um, you know, but the, the, the biggest thing is obviously the safety of the house, 
right? And so, you know, I don't want to see any violent, you know, and some of this is up to you as a landlord as far as what you're willing to accept, right? Uh, but for me, I don't want to see any violent crimes on there. I don't want to see any evictions in the last couple of years. Um, I don't want to see anything that could, you know, give me cause for concern um, as far as that goes. And so for really for me, it's, you know, is their background check clear? Um, you know, did they do the screening and did they send in their ID as well as pay stubs to make sure that their income amount is at least two, two and a half times up to three times, ideally, uh, whatever the rent amount is. Right. And I tell people when I'm on the phone, it's like, yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm you know, not putting you in a financial bind, which AKA, I don't want to put me in a financial bind later by having someone that can't, can't pay rent in the house. And so, uh, you know, you make it about them. at least I make it about them. Like, Hey, I don't want to put you or me in a bad situation. And so I want to see this much, you know, as far as that goes. And once I have both those things and the, those things are approved, obviously then I move towards a lease, a security, security deposit, uh, things like that. And then obviously all goes into, you know, their file once they're a renter and I, you know, kind of move from that and everything. So I'll, I'll stop there. A lot of info, Frank, anything you want to digest cool. there? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a lot of info, right? And I think a lot of folks that aren't in, that aren't operating might find that hard to digest. That, that was very good info. Why don't we take it slow right from the beginning? So we just close, let's say we just closed on a deal, right? Uh, well, you, you've already decided that you want to buy it. So it fit within your buy box. You looked at the parameters of maybe the HOA, the square footage, number of bedrooms, and it penciled out to have cash flow. So now you've taken the deed to the property. It's day one. What happens? Well, I, ideally, um, if you're pretty sure that you're going to close on it, I, I like to go ahead and, and actually get it listed to my website You know, a few days uh, prior to then and already have it shopping out. I already have people interested by the time I'm closing that, uh, that that's what I would call pre-sale and grant and, and Frank and I are, are talking about, um, you know, developing more of that pre-sale process. And then it's day one. It, it could be the middle of the end of the month. you got a mortgage due coming up, you know, like pressures on, you know, you, you obviously, hopefully you plan for, you got a bit of a, a runway there as far as, um, as far as, you know, that next payment. And so beyond that, what I would suggest, if you're really, if you're really trying to, um, you know, make a run at it and, and get things filled sooner than later, is day one. You're, um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of elements here. Depending on if you need to do a make ready, that's going to depend on if you have a contractor come in, all that kind of stuff. But we're we're just going to put that aside for now. Uh, but just getting it ready yourself, right? Well, day why don't one, we talk about yeah. the? I mean, like, because most of these, yeah. if we're if they're if you're doing this properly. You're going to have a build out, right? You're going to have you're going to be building out a room. You're going to be converting a garage. Okay. You're going to have some, you know, you may have may or may not have some paint or some carpet to, to lay down. You you're, you don't want to go. You wouldn't be buying anything more than that typically, right? So right. there might be a make ready, but there's most most more often than not going to be a build out, right? And so like let's talk about the deal that um, we're buying with this investor that's in San Antonio for. Uh, it's a, what is it? A six bedroom, it's a six bedroom, four bath, uh, 3000 square foot. Why don't you talk about that deal? Specifically? Yeah. Okay, like, great. So we're at least as it stands right now, we can <laughs> really yeah. see what we land on, you know, after call and stuff, but we're, we're looking at doing seven bedrooms there. Yeah, um, right. for, so for that one, there'd be a two addition, but we also have a half bath, right? So we have a three and a half bath and which actually backs up to a closet. 
So this is actually more common than you would think, um, you know, that a bathroom would have backed up to a closet. Depending on how the piping runs, stuff like that, you can obviously add that as a full bath, figure out a way to do a shower in there, which is what we're doing in this scenario. So um, for us, you know, uh, so, so just to go back to what you're saying. So day one, close of escrow. You want to get your, your power ton turned on immediately so that, A, your, uh, your, as soon as your contractor goes out there, he's able to AC, it's not dark out, uh, but B, be able to run his power tools because the first, one of the first things he's picking up is lumber, some drywall, uh, some kind of bigger materials and stuff to really get it going. And, um, you know, and then, you know, usually that's taken in stages, right? And so usually I, I front the money. I do it in like, you know, either two or, or, or three kind of bouts there where I, I front the money for materials. They go pick up the materials or provide the receipt for me. Um, they go start the project. They send photos, right? So there's there's a process there. I'm okay personally uh, with going ahead and letting people know, hey, this is available. If you want to drive by it, great. We're, we're starting to talk about doing more virtual tours on people showing up and stuff. You know, that can be a little bit dicey as far as managing timeline and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm, I'm a big fan of start before you're ready in a way. I don't have to have perfectly professional photos before I can let these leads that, that have been waiting for something like this or whatever that I've been generating or whatever else, um, let them know that this is available. And so I, I, I go ahead and post whatever I have as far as photos are concerned. But obviously, if you can look at having a make ready done in about a week, maybe 10 days, just depending on how quickly you can get utilities turned on, they can get materials, they can schedule it in their existing um, schedule, um, then, then obviously it's going to depend. And so, you know, I would frame it, I would frame it up as, you know, seven to 10 days as far as that goes. But, you know, you can have people that are ready, that are putting in applications, that are going out and looking at it. Potentially, you know, within reason, you want to give your handyman a heads up uh, leading up to that. And so, you know, theoretically, but, but you, the, yeah, the, go ahead. The long and short of it is you try to get your handyman in there right away. And within seven to 10 days, that thing is ready. Right. And so, like, even this house of San Antonio, it's it's actually somewhat more on the complex side of the spectrum in terms of the build out. Right. Because we're knocking down a wall into the closet, moving the toilet into the closet you know, adding a, a small platform. So we're not going into the concrete, reduce the cost on putting in the shower stall and creating a, sh a full bath downstairs. And the purpose of that is basically because the master bedroom has the only bath downstairs, right? So that's a private bath for the master. Whereas we're building out a, um, a second bedroom downstairs that'll be shared with the, what's now an office. And since there's no downstairs bathroom for them, we have to kind of turn the half bath into a full bath. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the game plan is within seven to 10 days on, on the outside, it should be basically ready. Right. I mean, our, we plan on a 10 day turnaround very quickly. That, right? that would, that would be, I mean, the best case scenario. I know we're, we're working with your handyman on that one. So I, I haven't talked with him as far as his schedule is concerned, but that would, that would be ideal. And that's, that's what I'm shooting for on. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, that's yeah. what I told him seven days. Right. Yeah. I said we need and to get theoretically, if there's a handful of rooms in there, they should be able to go, okay, we're going to do framing on this day. We're going to do drywall on this day. We're going to do paint and mud and trim and all that kind of stuff on this day. So they should be able to take it in stages as they're getting the materials and they should be able to do all of one type of task all at once. And so theoretically it shouldn't take longer than that. So yeah, right. Or something like that. Right. So something like that. Yeah. Seven ish, 10 ish days, somewhere in there and, and the things built out. And then in that seven days, 
what, what else are you doing in those seven days? Getting furniture ready? Decor? Yeah. So as soon as close of, of escrow happens, like I mentioned, it's, it's utilities, ordering furniture. If you're ordering furniture and you're ordering everything and all the small things all at once, um, just be ready to have somebody, maybe the handyman, pull it in because um, depending on where you're buying these things, you know, there will, there will be people that snag your packages and stuff. So just be careful. You don't just deliver it and go, I, I hope it works out if they land there, but maybe plan ahead as far as that goes. And then, um, yeah, I usually go ahead and order all the things that I know will have a longer shipping timeline, um, which are the bigger things typically. And I, I have a list that I just press play on. I used to, when I first got started to kind of go back to the, the novice um, operator, loaded up in my truck, driving around with appliances, couch, like, like, I feel really stupid doing this. I, I hope it works out, you know, and I, I just remember telling myself, okay, if you can go produce better returns that people kill themselves to go find every single day, everything will be just fine. Like just worry, just focus well, on there's, that. There's something know? to be said for the, the model of getting started very frugally, meaning do the house hacking model where you buy a house, you move into it, rent out the rooms, drive around your truck on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, pick up furniture, get it leased out, buy the second house and move into it as you lease out the room that you were actually living in and kind of do that for two or three cycles before you move to scale with doing kind of what we do, right? Where you're mm -hmm. buying, you know, when you're, when you got the crews working, when you got the list created for the, for the furniture, when you got things automated for the lease out, right? And lease up. Um, and, but there's something to be said for starting small and being efficient when you begin, because you learn the nuances of, of the process, right? You learn the nuances of, yeah. well, of everything because you're in, you're doing the dirty, the dirty work. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, I completely agree. Most people try to be cool before they're cool. And I yeah. think you got to put in some reps for sure. And I, and I think you respect the process a bit more. And, and if you're referring it out to some sort of property manager or something later on, then that's fine. But you, you need to you know really understand what if, if you're going to trust but verify and then have somebody else do it. You need to understand what you're verifying first. And so I think that's a really well, solid I mean, point. It's, it's nearly impossible to find a property manager that can properly operate these type of situations. You almost have to build out your own team to do this. Right. It's, it's not like you can just pick up the phone and say, Hey, I want to do a co-living arrangement. Can you manage it for me? No, it's highly likely that somebody's not going to do it properly. And, um, and they're not going to be interested because that's, yeah. that's a lot more work and parts, you know, yeah. it's more gross income. If, if they're getting paid off a of gross income, that's great. But well, one, the, one point, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say at the end of the day, you kind of have to be a specialist, right? Um, in co-living it's, it's a very, it's a niche thing. And so you have to have a lot of systems and processes and connections and, resources in place, even to be able to, de to deploy a successful arrangement. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so it's something that you have to kind of specialize in. Yeah. And, and I want to make one slightly nuanced point for anybody that's like just getting into their first one, um, as just, just something to be aware of. Right. And so when I first started, it's like, I started with like getting in like to a rent to own and I got it cash flowing and then I eventually bought it and all of this stuff, but obviously lease to own or where you're not actually on title and everything. This is a very small nuance point, but you'll see why I'm saying it. Um, but in that scenario, if you have a major plumbing issue come up, you have 
a major whatever other issue come up and you don't have the funds to take care of it. Um, you're not the legal owner on title and you, you, you can technically get insurance when you're not the legal owner on title, but generally speaking, you might only have renter's insurance in those scenarios. And so I would just say it's a cautionary tale where you can start with like a lease purchase with even less money down. But once you understand how to get creative deals and seller finance deals, why, why would you ever do that anymore? Right. You wouldn't. And so you can start that way. I, I would just point out that, you know, you just want to cover your bases, either have the cash on hand, get the exterior insurance, uh, whatever else. But you're, you're not the legal owner on title, so you don't have all the, the flexibility to, to act um, as, as you would if you were. And that can definitely be challenging if, if you know, the AC, I don't know, the AC goes out, foundation, something, uh, plumbing, roof, whatever. Um, I've seen a little bit of everything. And, you know, thankfully, I've had cash on hand to, like, take care of things. But my point being is um, if you can skip that, if you start there, great. You know, do your thing. A lot of people love lease purchases. Uh, but once you understand how to get into these creative deals, I don't, I don't think you ever would again. I mean, what do you think, Frank? I, I don't I'm a big fan of having control of deed. Uh, and so I would never consider mm -hmm. leaking options. Um, same, same thing's true with rental arbitrage, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because I mean, you've got so like so much can go wrong with your landlord. Right. And, and then you've, you've spent so much time and money and setting it up and getting it moving. And then at the end of the day, that landlord's going to be kind of jealous of you. Of, what you, of the value you've produced under his roof, right? And so I wouldn't want to be in a scenario like that, not knowing what I know, you know, not being a guy that can go find these deals, I wouldn't do that. Um, and not understanding stuff too. And that's basically the whole focus of our, of what we're, of what we're talking about here at NACO, isn't it, Reed? It's, it's basically integrating a, the sub two model, the, um, the taking over of debt with low entry costs, Right. And integrating it with a very, very uh, robust cash flow model and co-living. Right. And so it's a perfect it's a perfect synergy. It's a very synergistic relationship. But both sides of it require very, very intricate understanding of the process because it's, it can be very dangerous to, to, to improperly acquire and, and go through an acquisition process on a sub two deal. It can also be very dangerous to not properly operate it as a co-living you know, arrangement. Right. And so um, this is the, the, the purpose of this podcast that we've created is to show people that although there are, you know, these very detailed and intricate nuances that need to be looked into, it is possible. And it's very reason. It's very, it's a very, I'll say that it's, this, this is a, this is going to be a very long lasting segment of the industry. And it's very, it's at this, at this juncture, highly underserved, Right. And so as such, it's a great opportunity. And now, even if you're an investor that doesn't want to get involved with all this BS of management and operations, you can always joint venture with guys like Reed and I, because, you know, we bring to the table all the work and all the resources and we are, and all the team and all the contractors and all the know-how to make it be managed properly. And then, you know, we're typically showing approximately 20% cash on cash return and, you know, an internal rate of return approaching 30%, that's a theoretical number based on, you know, 
subjective analysis, but you know, actual cash on cash returns of about 20% and, th and theoretical returns for an exit within five years of 30% annualized. And so, I mean, if you can do that on a passive basis with realized depreciation, you know, if you've got a better strategy than that, I would like to hear about it and look at it. So, you know, shoot me an email, frank at everlastyproperties.com. If you've got a, a value proposition that can outpace what we're doing, I'd like to look at it. Yeah. What, like, great point and very well said. And I mean, it's exactly right. There, there's just, there's not this low of interest debt for something that's cash flowing like this uh, that, that I see right now. And everybody, you know, likes to say, well, why buy one unit when you can buy 50 units? And it's like, okay, well, how many of those are you going to go buy this week, this month, this year? And it's like, exactly. That's what I thought. This is a way for you to get started and get going. If, if, if that is something that's a desire of yours, if you're, you know, a novice and you're looking to get going. And I would just say, if you are trying to get started, but still, have a lot of questions and all, all of this. It's like you could you could theoretically go talk to a seller, pitch terms, find someone that's halfway interested and then team up with a TC transaction coordinator. Right. Which we're, we're going to have actually a uh, TC on next week. Um, you could team up with them. They could consult you. They could do the paperwork. They could connect you with the a closing attorney. And, you know, we're happy to refer refer out as well. And so point being is, you know, it is, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of moving parts. If it's for you, awesome. And, you know, that might be a route to kind of get uh, get more under your belt. It's just teaming up with, you know, good team or uh, whatever else or, or jumping in and asking questions in our, our chat or whatever. Um, but, yeah, point being, um, you know, there's, there's kind of two categories of, of people as I see it, right? Maybe a new person that wants to get into it or is their first one or two or three. And then, you know, like Frank's talking about someone that, maybe made their money another way. And it's just like, I love the model. I see where it's going. I, I think that there's, uh, it's, it's, it's only logical to think that there's going to be more people that uh, enter this demographic of people that can afford 700, 800, $900 a month bedrooms at, with really nice housing. It's only logical to think that there's going to be more people in this sector. Right. Um, and so I'm behind it. I'm with it. I'm a believer in real estate and I want to do it passively. And whether it's Frank and I, or, or somebody else, you know, there's plenty of, good operators that you can team up with to do something like that with passively. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then like looking at it from, you know, what exit strategies do you have to deploy on a sub two deal and thinking through it, I can't imagine the better than the co-living strategy, you know, even if you're working with a, on a JV partnership, right. And you're only getting, you know, percentage of the equity. Right. Um, in my opinion, the wrapped situations are highly risky. And, you know, the, the, the big point of that is that when you sell or finance a deed, you transfer that deed. And when you transfer a deed, you know, that's not held inside of a trust, it's a very risky proposition. You know, as of till now, it hasn't been an issue with the due on sale clause, but I know I would say, I would suggest that having a portfolio of wraps, may not be a very desirable thing to hold in the near future. Um, and so like, and then you know, like long-term rental as, as an exit strategy isn't very appealing. I mean, we, we read, we outpace long-term rental returns by what, 400%, five, six, eight, a thousand percent sometimes like literally 
we do oftentimes 10x the, the cash flow that a, that a long-term rental or we'll even take a deal that doesn't cash flow at all as a negative cash flow as a long-term rental and turn it into two thousand dollars a month in cash flow on a regular basis so i mean we blow long-term rental out of the water short-term rental is is in the in the process of a slow death and crashing and burning right now so it's not a sector that i would necessarily want to get involved in there are short-term rental short-term rental specific places where it makes sense but in general it's not a good sector to be in the only other sector that i would say is remotely close to what we do in the co-living apartment uh, i'm sorry the co-living um sector might be the medium-term rentals right uh, like the corporate medium-term rentals seem to be not a bad strategy if you can get some good clients but i have concerns there in terms of its uh right the, well and consistency just, of it right? just to just to classify what, he, what he's talking about midterm rentals or you see it abbreviated a lot in these facebook groups as you know mtr right ltr mtr str what all these acronyms uh, midterm rentals being like he said more corporate rentals which where do you where do you get corporate clients you have relationships you're still hustling they're still they're still it's, a, it's an active business until you really have those relationships and everything too um, you can do traveling nurses, you can do uh, insurance claims, you know, someone's house flooded and they need two weeks, a month, whatever else, whether their house gets renovated, all those in that, I would say that kind of one to up to maybe six months, but generally I'd say one to like four months, I would consider that more midterm rental and where, you know, I feel like, um, you know, most of my rentals have been, you know, kind of in between that midterm rental and, and long-term rental i typically look for six months obviously if you go with more of a, a pad split type of model it's a little bit less non-committal but the, the average tenant does stay supposedly um you know quite a bit longer eight or nine months um turnaround is like nine to ten months yeah um, and they carry like a 95 percent occupancy which is phenomenal yeah it's great i mean they charge 15 percent and then you still got to pay. See, I mean, here, here's the thing. You pay PadSplit 15%. PadSplit's a great company, right? They offer phenomenal results, but their fee is 15% to produce that. You still have to pay a property manager and maintenance on top of that, right? And so that means, you know, property manager is like another 15%, maybe 20%. And so um, by the time you pay PadSplit and property manager, um, you're into it like 30, 35%, right? Um, yeah, it depends what kind of property manager you have, but it's, it's a really good point that pad split is a sliver of the entire property management stack, right? Lease up and some internal communication. I'm not trying, I'm, I'm not a hater on, on pad split. I think they've got a great model. Um, I do think it's very hefty of a fee to charge people based on the gross rent. Cause if these things are gross rent, you know, our gross rents, you know, five, let's say five, six grand sometimes, you know, that's six, 700 ish dollars uh, per month. You multiply that times a year, they're, they're making, you know, seven, eight, $9,000 a year, depending on the, the, the setup. And so if you do go to do the pad split route, obviously their model I would say is best served for, more than just the two or three or four or even five bedrooms i would say look at you know six and seven and eight bedrooms to really go okay well there's a lot you know i wasn't planning on adding whatever it is a second bedroom to the garage but 
now I can justify it and be a little bit more hands off and, you know, go do the uh, finding property management. But it's still it's still a pretty tough uh, fee to, to swallow. Right. Because what are you going to pay a property manager? Another 15 percent, 10, 15 percent. Yeah. More. I mean, th there's nothing free in this world. And if you want a good property manager, they they cost money. And I mean, that's that's a big value proposition that you and I make read when we joint venture with the part with investors, isn't it? Right. Because we, we take we're, we're, you know, from the A to Z, you know, the whole thing, we take it over and control it and do everything. You don't have to pay pad split. You don't have to pay a property manager. You've got two guys that know what they're doing and, and, and say what they do and do what they say, managing the process and, 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 and pushing it through to, you know, actualized returns. And it's completely passive, right? Completely passive, just turnkey cash flow uh, investment that captures depreciation through equity, right? Um, and that's the value proposition that we make, Reed. And I, I, I'm of the opinion that it's a great one. I think that we solve good problems, we help people, and at the end of the day, there's this affordable housing situation needs to be addressed, and we're we're, we're tackling it head on. I love it. I love it. I think that's a phenomenal place to uh to, to end the the podcast today yeah anything else you want to add to what you just said there well i look forward to you know having some guests come on our podcast here we got a transaction coordinator coming on next week and um i would also encourage folks to to, to start participating in the discussion if you so choose and we look forward to growing this community love it all right thanks everyone for their time hope this was helpful have a great week